Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Revelation 20, a couple things to talk about real quick. First of all, question number one, which I don't even need to go to any verses on, uh, because really, I mean, you could refer to a lot of verses to answer this question. So I'll just tell you the question as we go over all the questions together. I'll tell you the question, and then I'll explain from the Scriptures an answer for it. Praise God. I do want you to know I don't come up with answers of what I think. I'm just letting the Bible interpret the Bible, letting the Bible teach us. If I don't have the answer, I'm certainly not going to tell you of an answer that I think. So, you know, one thing you got to understand about the day you live in, the devil more than ever wants to mislead believers, more than ever. And so one of the ways he does that, you know, he's smart enough to know, I can't just give you some book other than the Bible to kind of mislead you. And the problem is today we have what we call a lot of paraphrase Bibles. Now there's a difference between paraphrase Bibles and literal interpretation of the Bible. Uh, you want to try to stick with scriptures, Bible, uh, uh, context, quote unquote, different uh, Bible versions that are an interpretation, not a paraphrase. Paraphrase is somebody's opinion of what they thought it said. Well, I don't need your opinion. So that, that means they do look at the original text, but that doesn't mean they always agree with it. So they kind of add in the context of what they see out of it, what they think also it said. You know, we got this going all, all on in society today through all different aspects of media and stuff where people want to take something that happened and then actually utilize that as a way to try to tell other people about it, but to the degree that they want to take liberty to actually add their spin on it. Well, we don't want that. What we need to know specifically as believers, as reality for our life, is black and white in the Bible. Things God didn't want us to know, He didn't reveal. There's a reason why we don't have all the details about the last days. Because if you reveal all that, you give Satan more ability to know what's going to happen and what's going to go on. He's already going to deal with them enough. And I guarantee you, sometimes like Pastor says, you know, some Christians just don't know when to keep their mouth shut. That a lot of times, you know, they cause more problems by opening up their mouth, start talking about, look what Joseph did. Right. You know, right. Joseph got himself in trouble because he went and told all his family what God was revealing to him. Right. So, you know, realize you don't always want to say everything God reveals to you. Question number one, before you're born again, this is a good, all these are good questions. I haven't seen a bad question yet. Before you're born again, which by the way, there isn't a bad question if you don't know the answer. Before you're born again or before you're trying to live the life God wants you to live, would God help or intervene? I know many times I've cried out to God for help, not exactly asking Him to come into my life, but more so to take control of the current situation. I want to come back to that point, to take control of the situation. However, looking back, I feel I would have never made it through if it wasn't God. So does God sometimes intervene in our life even when we're not born again? Yes. Thankfully, yes. I mean, if you go back to the children of Israel, guess what God did over and over and over and over and over again? He intervened. He intervened. They didn't even want to, they didn't even want to serve him. They didn't even want to walk with him. But God had a need to get that first generation of the children of Israel over by the promised land, even though they didn't enter in. He had to get them over there so he could literally use Joshua and Caleb to go in and take the land that he had promised them and bring that second generation in. So God intervened in that case in the children of Israel's lives over and over and over and over and over again. They could have been wiped out by Pharaoh. What does he do? He intervenes. He opens up the Red Sea. So, I mean, you see this over and over again. God intervenes when they come to the, the bitter waters, Mara, and what does he do? He makes them sweet. So, this is God. They weren't, you know, in the context of uh, walking close with God as it would relate to us as a born-again child of God. They weren't walking close with God. They rebelled against God all the way over there. So God intervened over and over again. Even in the New Testament under Jesus' ministry. Do you remember the stirring of the waters by the angel? See, that's God intervening. That's him choosing to, or to do something on his own. Nobody prayed for that. 
There's no sign that anybody was praying for an angel to come down and stir the water so they could get in. Nobody was praying for that. God chose to initiate that on his own. Why? Let me help you. None of us have the answer to that question. He's God. He can do anything he wants. You know, people used to ask Brother Hagin all the time, well, I just don't understand why God sent that angel only once in a while. Why didn't he just have him do it all the time? I'm going to tell you, you don't have the answer to that question because God don't tell you. He chose to do it. He's God. He can do anything he wants. He's still good. Just because he didn't do that for everybody doesn't mean he's not good. God knows the hearts of all men. So yeah, absolutely God can intervene and has many, many times. I believe there's times in my life God intervened where I was acting like an idiot sinner just telling you the truth because, you know, sin will make you stupid like Brother Summerall said, you know. And, you know, I can remember a time that, you know, back when I was a sinner... And I was actually traveling back, coming back from a bull riding. And I'd been out after that bull riding at the bar all night. Don't do this, guys. Obviously, I'm born again now. I don't do that stuff. And I, I was drunk, man. And I was coming home in my vehicle. And when I actually got around this corner on an interstate, I, I literally passed out, man. I woke up in the middle of the interstate. My car's going around in a circle. I could have hit a concrete embankment that I barely missed. I mean, you can go on and on and on, but I, I know God had a plan for my life. And I know God knew that I would answer that call. I believe God intervened the best he could. So without a doubt, God intervenes. Aren't you glad? Now, listen, as a believer, be careful with this. So now do I, so the question was, you know, would he have intervened before I was born again? Yes. Uh, to take control of your life? No. He can't take control of your life unless you let him. Because they, they said here, that's why I said I was going to come back to this. Uh, I, I've, I've asked him to come into my life, but more so to take control of the current situation. He won't take control of a current situation without faith. Yeah, amen. There, there, there has to be faith involved. Now, I didn't say he wouldn't intervene for you. And it doesn't mean he couldn't do things, but I'm just telling you, you got to be careful with this because that could lead to thinking, well, does he still do that today as a believer? He expects you to now walk by faith. So as, as an answer to this question, it really wouldn't apply today because this person now is born again, so it really wouldn't matter because now you need to know how to walk by faith, not by sight. Amen. But for people that aren't born again, does he still intervene? Yeah, absolutely. So it is true that he does. Aren't you glad? Yes. But now that you're born again, guess what? You better not be waiting around expecting him to intervene. He gave you everything you needed to know to walk out what he has for your life, so you better learn how to do that, praise God. Question number two, which we're now going to get to these verses on. We talk about the thousand-year uh, reign. We talk about the thousand-year reign, the millennial reign. And I'm confused about how that applies to us. According to Revelation 20, verses 4 and 5, it seems like it would apply to others who were actually with Jesus being persecuted or beheaded. Could you elaborate on this, please? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. So here's the verses they're referring to. Revelation 20... In verses 4 and 5 is the verses they're referring to. Verse 4, I saw thrones, thrones, and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus. So this is multiple events here, right. multiple events. It's just stuff he's seeing. Not everything in Revelation is chronological. We've taught you that. And I'll guarantee you, Dr. Sutton taught that very well. Because sometimes God kind of jumps, just like you, you know. How many times any of you been talking to me? I'm good at this, right? You're talking to me, and all of a sudden I get off on something else, and then I come back and finish talking about what you asked about. So you got to realize this is happening through the book of Revelation. These thrones are set up after this time period. But he sees these thrones, and those obviously... Of the 12 heads of Israel and the 12, uh, 12 apostles sitting on those thrones. Notice, but now he, say, he sees also, verse 4, the souls of those, listen, I understand the confusion here. The souls of those who have been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. Where? In the tribulation period. Those are martyrs. That's referring to people martyred during the tribulation period. Notice, who had not worshipped the beast. That's how you can know. That they were, in, they were involved in the tribulation period because that's when the beast comes. They did not worship the beast nor his image. And they had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. So now we know he's clearly talking here about those who are martyred for their faith in the tribulation period. Notice what it says. And I get the understanding for the confusion, but I'm going to clarify it for you. Whoever asked the question. And they lived and reigned with Christ for what? <clears throat> so now he's saying these people... <clears throat> are going to be involved 
in the thousand-year millennial reign. These are actually people that are part of what the Bible calls the first resurrection. There's more than one. Watch this, verse 5. For the rest of the dead, talking about everybody else that went through that tribulation period, the rest of the dead would refer to those who don't know Jesus, to those who took the mark of the, the, mark of the beast. They're dead not only physically but spiritually. So the rest of the dead did not live again. Why? They're not born again. This is during the tribulation period. Notice, until the thousand years were finished, this is underlined at the first resurrection. Well, who's being resurrected here under the first resurrection, Pastor? Those during the tribulation period who were martyred for their faith because resurrection is talking about their bodies. If you think about this, those who were prepared for the rapture were not here. Right? right? And for those who were actually ready for the rapture, when Jesus came back, what happened with you? Your body was instantly transformed. So your body wasn't resurrected because it never died. Right. You listening? Yeah. <clears throat> those who remain or who are, who are alive and remain when Jesus returns, right. their bodies will be instantly transformed. Right. So from that time forward, anybody born again at some point is going to get a resurrected body themselves. So in the, in the context of the rapture, we're still here. If we're here and the Lord returns, will we be? I don't know. You don't know. And we'll talk about that in one of the questions, but the reality is Dr. Sutton thought he would be here for the rapture. He's in heaven. Right. <clears throat> Dr. Sutton, who taught 65 years on end time, says we're on borrowed time. Yep. He's now in heaven. When will it happen? I don't know. We know we're closer than we've ever been. Right. And the Bible doesn't tell us try to figure out when it's going to happen. Nowhere in the Bible did Jesus ever tell you that. Jesus said, be ready. What's your, what's your focus? I ain't focused on when it's going to happen. Everybody wants to know when it's going to happen. Can I tell you? He's not going to tell you. Based on anything, anything of the Old Testament, New Testament, he's not going to tell you. Everybody's trying to figure it out. Everybody wants to figure it out. But can I help you? You're not going to. And that's why Jesus never said, if, if, if you were to figure out what would happen specifically leading up and know when the time would come of the rapture, Jesus would have told you in the Gospels to do so. But he didn't. He just said, be ready. Right? He did tell you some things to remind yourself of what you know, need to know is going on to start looking up. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, all happening. Already happening. What did he say? Start looking up. <clears throat> start making sure you're focused on God, in other words. Right? So these who are actually in the tribulation period, we've already been taken into heaven. Those who are prepared. Those who are ready. We've already been caught up with Jesus. What are we now living in? A glorified body just like him. So we get to heaven, we're with Jesus. Right? And then the tribulation period occurs. Now I believe there'll be lukewarm believers left behind clearly. Spewed out of his mouth. There will be many people born again during that period. I still believe it will be the greatest mass amount of souls ever won in the history of the time of the New Testament. Because in the middle of that tribulation, the Bible literally talks about a rapture of souls. That their bodies don't go to heaven. Their bodies stay here on earth. Their souls are raptured to heaven. Their souls are caught up to heaven. Their bodies martyred and killed here for, for their, their standing up for Jesus are left here on the earth because they're part of this first resurrection. What's being resurrected? Their bodies. So what it's saying is, <clears throat> you and I, raptured from the planet, go for seven years to heaven on the last day. Say last day. Last day. On the last day of the tribulation period, guess what happens? We all come back with Jesus. It is the last day of the tribulation. It's still tribulation, but it's the last day. And we come back with Jesus. Armageddon happens. Right. You listening? And then after Armageddon happens, what happens? Well, all those who were martyred during that tribulation period, their souls come back with us. But guess what happens when they get back here? Their bodies are resurrected. The first resurrection. Verse 5. Notice again, the rest of the dead. That's talking about those who aren't born again. Notice the, the rest of the dead did not live again. They don't, they're not going to be resurrected. Why? Because been, they've been damned. Do you understand the difference? Verse 4 is all who accepted Christ during the tribulation period and therefore got born again, but they've been martyred. Their physical bodies killed, but therefore, guess where they went? To heaven. Their bodies didn't. Their bodies were left here. When they come back with Jesus with us, their souls, 
What are they going to get? They're going to get their body back. They're going to get a glorified body back. First resurrection. That's what it's talking about in verse 5. This is the first resurrection of which all the others who died during that tribulation period who did not accept Christ, their bodies will not be raised. Only those who accepted Christ and got born again. Now, I'll show you this. I'll prove this to you. Because if you back up in chapter 19, I'll show you we're already gone. So go back here to chapter 19. I don't have time to go all the way back through the rapture and all that. But the rapture has already occurred. Say it's occurred. So notice, end of the tribu- and we're coming down to the end of tribulation period here. Verse 11 of Revelation 19 says, Now I saw in heaven open and behold a white horse. Say a white horse. And he who sat on him was called what? Faithful and true. We all know who that is. That's Jesus. Watch this. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. 12. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head, excuse me, on his head were what? Many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Look at this, 13, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 14, watch this, watch this. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, say that would be us. Those who are with him in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's us. I said, that's us. So this is the end of the tribulation period, last day. Jesus comes back, we come back. Now, who else comes with us? Those who were martyred, but their bodies were still here. Yours got instantly transformed the moment Jesus raptured you from the planet. So your body's already been transformed and made new. Theirs has not. Their bodies were killed while they were here during the tribulation period. Are you following me? Is anybody confused about that? So we come back with him, verse 15. Now notice this. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword which he should strike the nations, and he himself, notice this, rule them, will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness, notice, and wrath of Almighty God. That's Armageddon. That's Armageddon. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Armageddon is is an involvement primarily... And I'll get into this probably next week. Primarily two main armies, although others will be gathered with them, but the two main armies are Russia and China. They've already, they just signed an agreement. So these two armies are already starting to align. And again, there's a huge massive army that will come from the east to come over to unite with others as well as Russia to try to come against Israel. What's that massive army? China. China, if you don't know it right now, has the largest amount of foot soldiers on the planet. They're already there. They got more than America has. Got more foot soldiers than America. They have the largest foot soldier army on the planet of anybody. Bigger than anybody. Not only that, they're building a highway coming from the east over to the west. They're already building a highway. How are you going to get all that army over there? I'll tell you what, you couldn't get them across that, all that rough terrain. You got to have a highway. It's already being built. I said it's already being built. So this stuff is cloaked because it's being set up. But they're the ones that are going to be wiped out with the breath of the nostrils of the blast of our Savior Jesus Christ. And we're going to sit there and watch it. But notice this. So we've already, we've already all come back with him. I said we've already all come back with him. Who else came with us? The souls, not the bodies. The souls of those, the spirit and soul of those who died during the tribulation period. Well, guess what they got to get back? Their bodies. Just like you got a glorified body, so do they get one. I said, so do they get one. So at the end of Armageddon, notice this, chapter 20, verse 1. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon. Say, praise the Lord. That serpent of old who is the devil and Satan. And he did what? Bound him for a thousand years. And he, now, this is after Armageddon. It's after tribulation. And he cast him into the bottomless pit. And he shut him up and he set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Then comes verse 4. Now in verse 4, he's telling you that as we enter into that millennial reign, those who were martyred during tribulation period don't have their glorified body yet. But that's when they're going to get it. That's the first resurrection. Their bodies will be resurrected from the dust of the ground to be able to be reunited with them that they are now like me and you in a glorified body. Amen? 
So I can see if you're just reading verse 4, it sounds like it's just these who are martyred for their faith that are going to be here for the millennial reign. Oh, no, 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 no. All of us will be. Amen. All of us will be. Amen. amen. I said amen. amen. So I hope that answers your question, whoever that was. Number three, go to John 14. Third, third question we're going to get to tonight. Go over to John 14. John chapter 14. And this is kind of an in-depth question as well. Why do people pray to God? This is a really good question. Why do people pray to God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit instead of just to God? It can get confusing for some. Well, what, what exactly do I pray to the Father about? What do I pray to Jesus about? Do I pray to the Holy Spirit? If so, what do I pray to Him about? It's kind of what they're asking. I get an agitation when someone prays to the Holy Spirit and Jesus instead of God. Well, number one, you, your, your agitation is not spiritual because you can talk to Jesus. Amen. You can talk to the Holy Spirit. There are times you pray to them. So for whoever asked this question, I get an agitation when someone prays to the Holy Spirit and to Jesus instead of God. They're all three God. Amen. And you can talk to all three of them. Amen. And we'll show you how and show you why. Isn't God our direct source? We pray in Jesus' name, but aren't we asking of God? Yes, depending on what you're asking. We pray in the Holy Spirit, and we are led by the Holy Spirit to our spirit, man. I'm not sure it is because I don't have uh, understanding, or they went on to say something about just uh, needed to be corrected in their stinking thinking. So understand, this is a good question because a lot of people can get confused. You know, so when do I pray to God? Do I pray to Jesus? Do I pray? How does all this work? How does all this work? I'm going to tell you the first time I ever heard anybody really explain this to me, it was the night that I got ordained under Dr. Barclay at leadership conference 24 plus years ago. And Roy Hicks was there. And Roy Hicks taught on this subject. And he said, I'm going to give you in a handful of minutes uh, understanding of what you're supposed to do as it relates to talking to Father God, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he did it in about 20 minutes. When he got done and added the, and then finished the rest of his sermon, pastor got up and said, those little three truths you learned about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that right there would literally be an essence like going to Bible school. Right. And a lot of Christians need to know that. So let's look at some verses, John 14, because maybe you're already well versed on all this stuff, but maybe not. Maybe you need to be reminded. John 14, 13, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now notice Jesus never said anything here about asking him or the Father. I want you to see that. Listen carefully. Whatever you ask in my name. He didn't say whatever you ask the Father. He didn't say whatever you ask me. He didn't say whatever you ask the Holy Spirit. So we know because he's not telling us to directly ask one of the Godhead, we need to get clarification of what he's actually telling us here. Listen carefully. I say to you, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Well, it sounds like you're talking to Jesus. He didn't say ask him. He just said ask in the name. That the Father may be what? Glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, what? I will do it. So I want to clarify, first of all, because if I don't bring this verse up, people could still get, you know, get confused and, and not understand what's going on here. So the, the word ask here in these two verses, 13 and 14, is not a petition ask. It's not a petition prayer. It's not a supplication prayer. This is not asking God for something. That word ask, if you look it up, it was a, understand again, English translators did the best they could, but that don't mean they got it all right. I'll never forget when I had Brother Evans at our church for the first time. And Brother Evans loved the King James, but he had no issue with other, you know, other translations that were you know, at least doing their best to stay accurate to the Scripture. And at that time, we had a guy that I'm, they, they, he wasn't, their, their family probably wasn't with us maybe three, four weeks. But because I preached out of the New King James, he said, nope, King James, he came up one time and said, you know, the King James is the only true authorized version. I said, really? I said, wow. I said, so uh, who wrote the King James English version? Well, the disciples did. I said, oh, they knew King James Version, English? I thought they actually were, uh, spoke in Hebrew and Greek. The Greek language of the day or the Hebrew language of the day. I didn't know that they actually knew uh, King James English. Kind of looked at me funny. I said, sir, I don't mean to be, you know, demeaning to you in any way. I'm not trying to demean you, but let me help you. King James Version is not the original authorized version. You got to go back to the Greek. You got to go back to the Hebrew. 
It was translated in 1311 by people who tried to help us understand what the Greek and Hebrew said in English language. So I told Brother Evans that one time. I said, the guy, he left because I don't preach out of the King James. He said, let me show you errors in the King James. And I mean, he started pointing out error after error after error after error. Because all of them, if you're not careful, obviously can have some error in them. Well, does that make the Bible invalid? No, you just got to study to show yourself approved. So it just means it probably wasn't the proper word to actually state there in the English based on the Greek. The word ask there is actually the word demand. <clears throat> it's the word demand. Jesus, here's how you know. So it's really simple, again, if you think about common sense. Common sense. Did he say, ask the Father? No. Did he say, ask me? No. Did he say, ask the Holy Spirit? No. So we know clearly he's not talking about petition prayer here of asking the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit for anything. He said, if you ask in my name, I'll do it. So if you look this up in the Greek language, thank you, Brother Hagen, now in heaven, who I learned this from years ago, before I ever met Pastor Barclay. Years ago, he said, this is something that is so confusing to most Christians, and it's really simple. If you just go back to the original translation, Jesus said, whatever you demand in my name, it's like me standing right there next to you. I'm going to see that it gets done. Now, you're not demanding of Jesus because, again, it's not directed to Jesus. It's not directed to the Father. It's not directed to the Holy Spirit. He didn't include any of that in that verse. If this is a verse of of talking to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he'd have told you that. He'd have told you that. He's not letting you try to figure it out. He'd have specifically said, if you ask the Father in my name, if you ask me in my name, he didn't say that. He said, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. It's like I'm there to do it. Okay, well, what's his name for? Use of authority. Yeah. Use of authority. Who's actually fulfilling what you're actually doing? The name is. It's like Jesus himself is standing there. Yeah. So the phrase here means if you demand anything in his name, he'll do it. Now, that doesn't mean we're not demanding anything of God. We're not demanding anything of Jesus. We're not demanding anything of the Holy Spirit. Who are we demanding of? The devil. He's saying if you demand for a demon to come out in my name, guess what? I'm going to see to it he comes out. If you demand for the devil to take his hands off your family, guess what? I'm going to see to it he takes his hands off your family. I'd like some better amens tonight. See, this verse clearly states in the Greek language, whatever you make a demand of in my name, not to the Father. You don't have to demand anything of the Father, anything of Jesus. You don't have to demand anything of the Holy Spirit. Now, Dr. Sutton, excuse me, Dr. Hagen not only did this, Roy Hicks brought this up as well who was a great Bible scholar. And he said, this is not referring to asking Jesus anything or the Father anything. Jesus is revealing to his disciples, I'm about to leave. And when I'm gone, you'll now have my name to use and go use it, just like you've been since I've been here with you, to go make a demand. What did he do when he sent him out? Take my name. Now, let me ask you a question. When the disciples went out with the name of Jesus, did they actually tell, uh, when they came upon a demon-possessed person, did they tell Jesus, we command, Jesus, we ask you to get this demon out? No, he said, you go speak to that demon. You demand it to go. You lay hands on the sick. You command that sickness to go. That is John 14. You're demanding what you have a right to as a child of God, not of the Father, not of the Son, not of the Holy Spirit, what, he already, what you already know. So it's exactly, and, and common sense, just think common sense. When he was here with them, he gave them that ability to do that while he was here with them, right? So now he's saying, I'm going to be gone. Well, how are you going to do this? You're going to take my name. Yes. You're going to do exactly what you did when I was here. <clears throat> and you're going to take that name and you're going to continue to make a demand of whatever the enemy tries to stop you from doing, and it has to obey you. Because it's like I'm right there to do it, just like I'm with you now. Amen. Amen. I'm with you now. So common sense. Even though I'm not going to be there physically, I'll be there. Because when you make a demand in my name, I'm going to see to it that it gets done. Any amens on that? So this is the simplicity of what Jesus is saying. Because right before this in verse 12, he tells you you can go do the works he did. How are you going to do that? Through the name. Through the name. You're not going to do the works Jesus did by asking the Father. Did, did Jesus go around, quote unquote, dealing with demons? Father, cast this demon out. No. Father, I want, you to, I want you to make this body well. No, he just commanded that body to be well. He just laid hands on that body told her to be well. He dealt with the actual thing he was coming against. 
So this is not petition prayer. Go to John 16. <clears throat> you still with me? Yes. John 16. Now you realize you could teach a whole, you know, multiple message sermons on just this one question. So I'm going to try to get through it pretty quick. 1623, Jesus goes on, right? So we know what written chapter and verse. He's talking to his disciples about him leaving. He's not going to be here. We're going to have the helper, Holy Spirit. He gets over to John 16. Watch this. In that day, what day? When he would leave. You can read the previous verses to see the context. In, excuse me. In that day, you'll what? Tell me out loud, please. Tell me out loud, please. Oh, so now he is specifically saying of asking him. And see, this is a petition asked. This isn't a demand. This is a petition of him. Notice this. He said, in that day, notice this, you will ask me what? So evidently we don't talk to Jesus. No, no. Well, read on. I'll explain. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father, whatever you what? Ask the Father, ask the Father what? So we know this is different. This is not making a demand like he said a minute ago. Now we specifically hear him saying, you're to ask the Father. When you ask the Father in my name, he's going to give you. What's he going to give you? I'll explain. 24, until now, say until now. Watch this, until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will what? Receive, Receive that your joy may be what? Whoa. Now, what is he referring to here? Okay, so here's the first thing we're going to touch on. What, this is talking to the Father. So what do I ask the Father about? If you understand the context, and one translation actually says it this way. One translation from the Greek language actually says it this way. He was referring to the fact that while they're walking with him on the planet, what are they doing? They're asking him all kinds of questions. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, when are you going to come back? Remember, when's this going to happen? When's that going to happen? So this is referring to questions. This isn't asking the Father what Jesus has fulfilled for you. You don't ask the Father for money. Well, it said whatever I ask. No, this is in context to questions you have. Because I'll guarantee you, you can ask God for money all day long and he can't answer that prayer because he has none in heaven. He gave you authority to get it here on earth. Yes, I've given you the ability to go get wealth. So you got to understand, you can ask God about how to get it. You listening? Yeah. So, okay, God, you gave me the ability to get wealth. Show me how. You don't ask him for money. But you can have a question about how do I do that? So guess what? When they had questions from Jesus, questions about the things of God, guess who they had with them to ask all the time? Jesus. Jesus is about to leave. And he says, I'm about to be gone. So you can't ask me questions anymore, but guess what? You can ask the Father. And all these questions. So one translation actually says it this way. Any questions that you now have of the Father, ask in my name, he'll answer it. And guess what happens when you get an answer to a question? Joy comes. Because now you got the answer. Amen. Now you know. And your joy will be full. So joy being full here, this isn't talking about asking for healing. Healing is a given. It's a part of your right as a child of God. You demand healing in your body by rebuking the disease, the sickness, the attack. Right? Jesus didn't say, ask the Father, you'll be healed, did he? No, what did he say? He said, you lay hands on the sick and they will what? Now, how how they go recover? I'm going to command it in the name of Jesus. Whatever's attacking that body has to go, Amen. has to leave, has to change. Amen. If you're asking God to heal you, you're asking God to do something he already did. He already fulfilled that through Jesus. This is questions. This is because they had all these questions they asked Jesus. So who are they going to talk to now? Who, who are they going to ask about these questions now? The Father. In that day, the... Translation here in the Greek, one translation in the English actually says it this way. In that day, you will not ask questions of me anymore. You will ask questions of the Father in my name. And I say that when you do, you will have answers given to you by my Father. And until now, you've asked nothing in my name. You haven't had to because why? I've been right here to ask. But now you're going to ask and you're going to receive answers to your questions. So your joy will be what? Your joy will be what? So, John 16, 23 through 24, if you're taking notes, tells us that we are to ask questions about our life to the Father. We don't ask questions about our individual life. About, we, don't, we don't bring those to Jesus. We don't bring that to the Holy Spirit. He just told you. You talk to the Father about that. When I have a question about my life, 
as it relates to me personally, as to things that I need answers for about life, who do I talk to? The Father. You go to the Father in the name of Jesus. And he said the Father will obviously get that answer to you. You'll receive it and your joy will be full. Acts chapter 1. Do we talk to Jesus? Yes, we do. Acts chapter 1. I'll show you this. Acts chapter 1. You're going to find out. And again, this goes back to what I learned from Brother Hicks and proven through my life and proven through the Bible. Brother Hicks said, let me just simplify it for you. The Father deals with your life personally. Jesus deals with the church. He's the head of the church. What do you go to Jesus about? Issues with the church. Issues as it relates to you in the church. Your calling, what you're called to do. The Holy Spirit you go to as the helper. And in the areas that God said he's there to help you, you got to ask for his help. He's a gentleman. He won't do it just because you want it. He's going to do it if you ask him. You listening? But he's not going to help you if you don't ask. So you, you, I'm giving it to you in a synopsis real quick, and I'm going to give you the verses. But it's really simple. You write it down. God the Father helps me answer, answer questions about my life. Jesus helps me answer questions about me as it relates to the body of Christ. My place in the body, my calling, my gifting, etc. Okay? Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one that reveals that to us. Doesn't mean you can't have friendship with Jesus. Talk to him like a friend. Sure you can. Just as a regular conversation. But in relationship to what you ask him, it relates to you as the church body or the body of Christ. How to pray for the body, etc. But when it comes to aspects of what he gave us a helper for, well, who should you talk to? Your helper. Your helper. You talk to the helper, the Holy Spirit, and, and obviously thank him for what God said and promised he would do to help you. Watch this. Acts chapter 1. You still with me? Jesus is in heaven. Say he's in heaven. Watch this. The former account I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after, after, after. So he's gone. Notice he who, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, has now what? Given commandments. To who? The apostles. Why? Because they're overseeing the church. He gave commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. So here Jesus clearly, how do we know what the Father relates to us? Holy Spirit. How do we know what Jesus relates to us? Holy Spirit, right? Didn't Jesus say, I and the Father will come and make our abode with you? Yep. How does he do that? By way of the Holy Spirit. So we know the Holy Spirit's the direct connection. But I don't ask the Holy Spirit to go to the Father for questions. I ask the Father directly, and by the Holy Spirit, he'll give me those answers. Jesus gives commands about the church. He's the, uh, quote-unquote, the head of the body. He's the general. Right? He's the king. We're, we're the army. So when it comes to us as a body and what we're supposed to do as a body, who do we go to? Jesus. Jesus gives commandments to those in the body who want to understand and know what we need to do as a church, as a body. Through the Holy Spirit, he had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Commandments for what? What we need to do as a body. Amen? So Jesus relates to what we do as a body of Christ. Back to John 14. Now what you also know with the Holy Spirit again is you find out what the Bible says. How many know he's a helper? So you, how many know he's a helper? So you find out what he's here to help you do and that's what you ask him to help you with. Because that's what he's here to do. John 14. Now I get it. I don't, you don't need to pray for the, you don't want to pray to the Holy Spirit for answers to life. Talk to the Father. You don't pray to the Holy Spirit about the body of Christ. Talk to the Father. What you do talk to the Holy Spirit about is things that God said he would help you with directly as it relates to things about your life. So what does the Bible teach us about the Holy Spirit? Well, here's some. Ready? Verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while being what? Present with you. I'm in John 14, 25. Are you there? These things I've spoken to you while being what? Present Present with you. But the helper, say the helper. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. Watch this. He will teach you what? So this is telling us that if we want to learn things, not get answers to life, but learn about things, how to do things, right? How to walk in the light of the word, etc. Who helps us to learn those things? The Holy Spirit does. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You help teach me how to walk in the Spirit. You teach me how to be governed by my Spirit. You teach me how to be able to deal with my flesh. Because you're here to teach me those things. 
He will teach you these things, watch, and he will bring what? What will he do? He'll bring all things to what? He'll bring all things to remembrance that I said to you. Well, when you're trying to remember things that you know the Lord's revealed, Holy Spirit, remind me, what was it that the Lord had revealed? What was it, Lord? You ask the Holy Spirit, and you thank him for reminding you of the things of which Jesus himself had spoken. Now, another aspect of the Holy Spirit, I don't, again, I don't have time to go through all these verses. You can go study it for yourself. Romans 8, 11. Romans 8, 11 says, If the same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead, who was that? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. If He lives in you, He will quicken your... Guess what you can do? Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're at work quickening my mortal body. Right. Amen. Amen. You don't have to ask Him to do it. You just thank Him for it. Because He's there to do it. So we talk to the Holy Spirit in the aspect of the help that God said he would give us. When it comes to questions about my life, decisions I have to make, I don't ask the Holy Spirit for those answers. I ask the Father. You ask the Father. Father, help me make a right decision here. I need wisdom from you. James even says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. That would be the Father. Father, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom on this answer. Give me wisdom on this decision. I need a, a wisdom to understand what to do. If it related to the body of Christ, and primarily, again, really, for the, for the daily believer, your time with Jesus is more of a fellowship time. Just to get to know Him. Because you get to know Him, guess who you learn about? You. You get to know about you through Him, through the image of Christ. So your time with Jesus is more of a fellowship time. Primarily, communication-wise, as it relates to things needing to be done on the earth, Jesus is going to convey that to his leadership because that pertains to the body of Christ. But you can talk to him just as a friend. Aren't you glad you got a friend? Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friend. So thank God we can fellowship with our friend. Amen. And we can rely on the Holy Spirit to do what God said he would do by thanking him for doing those things in our life. Amen? All right, 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, what if I goof it up? Don't you think God knows your heart? When I first heard that, I thought, man, I got to, but you know, when you stop and think about it, here's the deal. Take time to stop and think about what you're about to do as it relates to communication with God. Is this a question that I need answered? Is this wisdom I need? Okay, Father, I'm coming to you, coming to you. If this is about my calling in the body, what I need to be doing, Jesus, I need to know. I need to understand that I'm fulfilling my call in the body. You're the head. I'm the body. You're the head. I'm the body. I ask him all the time. I'm a shepherd given according to your heart. Help me understand and know what I'm supposed to be doing as a shepherd. Amen. Amen. But you are part of the body as well. You're all members of the body. And the Holy Spirit, I, man, I thank the Holy Spirit all the time that you quicken my mortal body. Amen. And I thank Him for His help all the time. I ask Him all the time, thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing back to my remembrance the things that I need to remember today. Amen? Because that's what He's there to do. That's what He's there to do. All right. Uh, question number four, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You there? Question number four, after someone brings up their beliefs, talking about a conversation, and somebody brings up their beliefs, I ask them if they believe in God. And they do believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead. Now, let me help you. Demons believe that. Demons believe that. They, they, they said it all the time when he walked on the planet. He said, we know you're the Son of God. I get the urge to say so much more about what I've been taught, but then I get an agitation to not, uh, to not uh, overwhelm people with too much information. I really want to share everything I know about God. How much is too much? I think the agitation is the Holy Spirit told me to slow down because I didn't learn everything. I didn't learn everything I know in one conversation. Let's start here, though, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So, again, after someone brings up their beliefs, I ask them if they believe in God. Should we ask people if they believe in God? Let me help you. No. Demons believe in God. Demons believe in God. So before I ever even take the time, to get into trying to teach or help somebody with some aspect of Scripture, let me help you. I don't ever do that. Your pastor, if I meet somebody I don't know, I do not take the time to start teaching them the Bible without finding out a very simple truth to a simple question. Are you born again? I don't ask them, do you believe in God? Demons believe in God. They're not born again. Can't be. So I always ask this question, and then I add to it. Are you born again? Do you know 
Without a doubt, Jesus lives in your heart. Can you tell me that you know that you had a time in your life that Jesus came to live in you and you knew you were different? Now, I always go through those questions right there. Because you could just say born again and they could say, yeah. But do you know without a doubt? See, the only way you know if you're a child of God, there's only one way according to Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit. So do you have that witness? Have you ever had it? Now listen, you could harden your heart after being born again, not maybe know that witness is there anymore. But I go back when you got born again, and I tell them even my story. When I got born, well, I don't know. I tell them my story. When I got born again, I knew something was different. I mean, you know, something was different. I knew it, man. I knew within the next days after that, something was different. Something had changed. I said, did you experience that? Well, not really. Now, if they're, the, if, they're already, if they're already questioning whether they even are born again, I ain't about to teach them the word. No, I'm going to start treating them like they're a sinner. I'm going to start using the Ten Commandments to make sure and find out whether they are born again or not. Because I will never ask them if they believe in God. Demons believe in God and tremble, the Bible says. So watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 17. You still here? For Christ did not send me, Paul said, to baptize, but to do what? Preach the gospel. Proclaim good news. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. What's that mean? I didn't try to become somebody really wise or slick in the way I presented it. I just told them the truth. I just told them the truth. 18, watch. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved. Now why does it say being saved? Because you're not at a, uh, at a full perfect condition. In the sense of spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit's perfect. Mm-hmm. But your soul's not. Right. Your body's not. Right. So we are being saved. Say being saved. being saved. Notice it is the power of God. God's word to those who are born again. Man it brings great strength. It brings great power. But what if they are not born again? What if they truly do not have a salvation experience? For you to spend your time to try to teach somebody the Bible is a waste of time. Because it is foolishness to them. Tell me why it is foolishness to them. Because they don't have the teacher inside them to explain the Bible. They're trying to figure it out with their brain. I'll show you this. Move on further down. Chapter 2. See how smart you are? Chapter 2. You there? A little further down, verse chapter 2 here, it says, verse 12. Now, we've received not the spirit of the world. Aren't you glad? But the spirit who is from God. I say, aren't you glad? But the spirit is from God that we might what? Tell me. Tell me. What what might, no, no what? That we might know the things that have what? Been freely given to us by God. So when you try to teach other people the truth of the Bible, and they're not born again, they don't have the Holy Spirit to reveal it. And that's why it's foolishness to them. Foolishness. So for me to sit here and try to take time to explain what I've learned in church, what God's helped me to understand, what I've learned to walk out, da 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 you're wasting your time. So the first thing about saying, do I go too far? Do I share too much? Let me help you. If they're not born again, you're already sharing too much by trying to teach them anything. Because yeah. they don't have the Holy Spirit to reveal that stuff to them. Some people have told me, well, I, I feel like if I can just teach them what I know, they'll have a desire to know God. Jesus never did that. Jesus always went straight to the heart with the Ten Commandments to reveal to them the sin nature to find out, do they have what? Come on. God is all. Give him a high five, Carrie. God, good job, Ken. Do they have godly sorrow? That's what he's looking for. If they have godly sorrow, guess what's going to happen? Repentance will be the result. It will produce repentance. So now he's got to do is reveal to them what they got to do to receive salvation. Right? But he's already revealed the sin nature, found that they have godly sorrow. It leads them to repent. Uh, excuse me. It causes them to repent and leads them to salvation. So look at this. Reading on. Verse uh, 13. These things we also speak. Not in words, which man's wisdom uh, teaches, but notice which the Holy Spirit teaches. Underline it, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. See, if they're not born again, they can't do that. They have no ability to do that. And that's why they can look at you funny, not sure about this, what do you mean? Well, they believe in God, but that don't mean they're born again. Again, demons believe in God, but they ain't born again. They don't have the Holy Spirit to make sense of the Bible to them. Notice 14, but the natural man. Say the natural man. The natural man does not receive the things. Does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are what? Spiritually 
discern. Now, listen, you could be born again and living totally carnal, and therefore you're not getting a hold of spiritual things. That would, in, that would be included. But this is referring to those primarily, they're not born again. They don't know Jesus. So for me to take the time to sit here and try to teach them a bunch of stuff would be a waste of time. But what if they are born again, Pastor? So let's say, let's assume they are truly born again. If they truly know Jesus, without a doubt, they know it. They, they don't even question it. And they don't know all the things you know. So how much is too much to give them? You got to obey the Holy Spirit. There's no right or wrong answer. There's no answer to say, well, just give them this much or don't give. No, you got to recognize by the leading of the Holy Spirit, am I actually to shut up now and leave this alone and move on? Because in some cases, ladies and gentlemen, you know how many people I've come across that are born again and I'll start talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I can tell they're put off by it. They're not listening. They don't want to hear it. Their, their religious tradition has told them tongues is of the devil. And I don't believe in that stuff. Da, 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 da. You know what I do? I don't try to push it. I leave it alone. I, I, I explain the truth of it. I walk away. I don't try to go any further. But I only, listen to me, I only feed people the word to the degree that they'll receive it. Ready? And respect it. If they'll receive it and respect it, I can tell. That they're hungry, I can tell they want more. You can tell. You can tell by the Holy Spirit, they're hungry, they want more. I'll keep going. But if they're not, I back off. Why? Don't cast your pearls before swine. Because if you do, eventually, they'll turn and rent you. I've had that happen way more times in my life than I want to mention. And I'm not doing it anymore. Not doing it. I'm very cautious about ever even counseling anybody especially in the area of marriage and other things like that, personal areas, in which that person is not submitted to me as a pastor. Because I already know if you could have figured this out and you could have done this according to the Bible, you wouldn't be coming to me. You'd have already got it figured out. You don't. You need some help. And therefore, you're not doing it totally the way the Bible says. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. And I'm going to assure you that when I do some of that stuff, you're probably not going to like. Because it's going to challenge your flesh. It's going to challenge your flesh to change. It's going to challenge your flesh to do the way things God, uh, do things the way God set them up to do. If you're not submitted to me as a pastor, you know what you're going to do? You're going to let that go in one ear and out the other. I cannot tell you how many times I've sat there and told people stuff from the Bible. And I knew what I'm sitting there teaching, teaching them. They're, they're act, acting like, you know, it's like in church. They act like they're amening you. But you can tell they ain't getting it. You can tell they don't want to hear it. And I will promise you, when they walk away, it's amazing how many of those people go talk behind your back. Yeah. Oh. Well, I know pastor said that, but that's not the way I see it. It's not the way I believe it. Is it black and white in the Bible? Because right. if it is, guess what? It don't matter what you believe, I believe. It don't matter what the president believes. It don't matter what the mayor believes. It don't matter what Satan believes. It don't matter what demons believe. If God said it, it's settled, man. Amen. Like it or not. And the problem becomes, and this is true as a believer. As a believer, you're not their pastor. So you got you to gotta be real careful that you don't. The, the devil would love to waste your time with people that don't want to do it. Cast your probe before swine. Why? He wants to turn them and cause them to wrench you, come after you. Make you where you don't want to share anything anymore. So you got to use some wisdom. But it's not hard. Come on, how many ever shared truths with people before? Some people, man, you can tell they're eating it up. They want more. And so it's okay to give more. Absolutely. I said, absolutely. But again, I'm checking to see how sincere are they and are they respectful of what I'm teaching? Because it ain't, it ain't about me. I'm not, I didn't say respectful of me. I'm not respectful of what I teach. If, if they start getting into, well, that's just your opinion, I say, we're done. I don't say that. I, I kind of quietly and in a nice way say, you know what? This really isn't my opinion. This is what the Bible says. But see, then again comes that whole issue of a lack of submission to authority. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're not living according to the Bible, you're walking in what the Bible calls what? You know? What does the Bible call it? Deception. Give him another high five. Your, your husband's two for two tonight. If you're walking in deception, there's only one way out. He's three for three. Submission to higher spiritual authority. Or you wouldn't be deceived. I hear people say all the time, well, I'll never be deceived. Never. I just won't be deceived. Really? You'll never be deceived. Nope, won't ever happen. You submit it to a pastor? Nope, don't need one. Let me help you. You're already deceived. You're already. No, I'm not. Don't need one. Yeah, you're already deceived. Bible says you need one. 
So I'm just telling you, folks, you got to understand that's the significance of when you obviously even teach other Christians, and we are here to do that. But realize this, one of the things I deal with all the time, before I get into a whole bunch of teaching of the Word of God, do you have a shepherd? If they're born again, do you have a pastor? Do you go to church somewhere? Do you have a shepherd? Yeah. Do they not teach you these truths? No. What are you doing there? I'm not trying to get you, because I'm a pastor, so they think I'm trying to get them to come to my church. I said, I'm not trying to get you to come to my church, but why do you want all these answers from me? I don't mind helping you, but the truth is, again, how much of it you think they're going to really apply if they're not you know, serious and committed to want to be a part of what you're doing? So you can help Christians to a degree, but at the same time, be careful that you don't try to become their pastor, because that's not what you're there to do. Be a good believer, help them out, help them with some truth maybe they didn't see before. But you know what? The truth is, you're going to continue to deal with those people over and over and over again. If they're not getting that teaching in their church, they should, need, they should find their shepherd. Amen. They should find their shepherd. Matthew 24, last set of verses for tonight. Matthew 24. You learn anything tonight? Yes. Matthew 24. I think I'll sit down and let Caleb finish. He's doing good. <laughs> Praise God. Mr. Lieutenant, man, he's on it tonight. <laughs> Matthew 24. Number five, question number five. Are the multitudes that follow Jesus around, like on the Sermon on the Mount, the feeding of the 5,000, etc., are they the same type of people as the ones spoken of in the last days that will be deceived? Understand the question? Are the multitudes that follow Jesus around, not the 12 disciples, are the multitudes, like the Sermon on the Mount, feeding of the 5,000, are they the same type of people as the ones spoken of in the last days that will be deceived? They are, but they're not the only ones. They are. Are those people, are those some of the people that, would, that will be deceived? Yep, and so will others. It's not, they're not the only group. So in other words, if you're saying outsiders, multitudes, right, disciples 12, could the 12 be deceived? Yeah, Judas was. So it's not just the multitudes, not just the outsiders that will be. Read with me. Matthew 24, verse 11. Jesus said, in the last days, many false prophets will rise up and they will do what? I, what will they do? I don't like that verse, but it's in there. Because I don't like people living deceived. Read it again. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. He didn't say it might happen. He just said, well, it could happen. He said, this will happen right. in the last days. False prophets are not just people who say they prophesy. False prophets are people who claim to speak for God. The term prophets here means one who claims to speak for God. First and foremost, again, I've taught you this. You stick with your spiritual fathers, you'll be fine. Yeah. But you got to understand something. A lot of people just won't. They just won't do it. I warn people all the time because we got people streaming. I don't even, you'll never have somebody come in our pulpit who calls themselves a prophetess. Don't get mad at me, ladies, but there's no such person in the Bible. There's a prophet. There's the gift of a prophet. Yeah, but Philip's daughters prophesied, but they weren't prophetesses. They simply prophesied simple prophecy, which everybody can do. Everybody. So you got to understand many false voices will come and they're going to deceive what? So it's not just the multitudes, right. as he's about to show you. Watch this. Here's the reason why. Verse 12, because lawlessness will abound. Right. What will cause the deception? Lawlessness will abound. And therefore the love of many will do what? Right. Now wait a minute. Your love can't grow cold unless you were once in love with Jesus. Right. This isn't talking about people that were never in love with Jesus. This is talking about people's love growing cold. So they once were in love with God. They were once in love with Jesus. I mean, if you just go back in our lifetime, most of our, you go back to the 70s during the last big Jesus movement, churches were filled. You listening? I mean, filled. I mean, people were trying to build buildings as fast as they could because they couldn't have, they couldn't get enough seats in the buildings to see them all. Yeah. Where are they today? Right. Last days, ladies and gentlemen, the love of many will grow cold. And if they no longer love God, let me help you, they don't love the things of God. They don't love God's house. How many know Jesus loved God? I said, how many know Jesus loved God? Because Jesus loved God, you know what else Jesus loved? He loved his house. Zeal for your house, Lord, has overtaken me to see these people demeaning your house 
as a place of business, of doing transactions, of making money and taking advantage of people. What did he do? He made a whip of cords and he drove them all out. Right. Now, why did he do that? I'm going to tell you why. Because he loved his father and he also loved what? He loved his house. People who don't love the house of God, let me help you. They no longer love God. Amen. They can say all they want all day long. Jesus is your model. If you love God, you love the things of God. Church is not a, church is not a, a drain on your life. Church is a blessing to you. Church is a love for you because you love God. You know, relationships always have their challenges to them, even relationship with God. Because it will challenge your flesh. You listening? But I'm just here to tell you, folks, the love of many will do what? Grow cold. What does that mean? They're now deceived. They're now deceived. Would that have just been the multitudes? No, these people were in love with God. They were in love with God. Now, I don't believe the majority of the multitudes were in love with Jesus. Jesus even said it. You know why you follow me? Because of the miracles. And the feeding and all that stuff, right? So clearly pretty easy for them to be deceived because they're not chasing after him anyway. But people who once loved him and now they don't, they're deceived. They're deceived. What caused them to be deceived, ladies and gentlemen? What, what caused their love to grow cold, ladies and gentlemen? Lawlessness. Law, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will. See the progression? Lawlessness will abound and therefore the love of many will. Grow cold. What's lawlessness? You start having a disregard for this right here. The Word of God. See, now all of a sudden you don't agree with it anymore. Isn't it amazing? People who went to church 20 plus years believed everything the Bible taught. Now all of a sudden they don't don't believe that way anymore. Well, wait a minute. What, What don't you believe? Because if I can prove to you it's black and white, then what you're telling me is guess what you're doing? You're becoming lawless. You know what you'll see about these people? Their church attendance goes down. Watch it. It's a proven fact. Their church attendance goes down. Their serving God goes down. I've watched people in 32 years as a pastor. I've watched people come in this church excited, get all on fire for God, in love with God, serving God. Can I do something? What can I do? Da, 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 da. Involved in everything to going down to now involved in almost nothing and rarely coming to church and eventually drifting away. Right. Last days. They didn't go to another church and get that heavily involved. No, they never will again unless they get their heart right with God. Amen. Why? Lawlessness. Because what you've done is you've taken this now and you've not made this your final authority. You know many Christians, this is not their final authority? If this is my final authority, this is why it's so significant. If this is my final authority, then guess what? Whatever his word says I'm to do, that's what I do. Whatever his word says I'm not to do, that's not what I do. Because it's a law? No, because he loves me. Because I love him. I don't do it because it's a law. It's not. I do it because I love him. And he loves me. Can I get a better amen? Now listen, if I'm not willing to respect his word to the degree that I'll do what it says because it's final authority, then guess what else you won't do? You won't believe what it says about you. That's true. It's good, Pastor. What the Bible says you are, you won't agree with. Well, sure I will. No, people, people call themselves all kinds of stuff the Bible doesn't call them. People claim all kinds of stuff about their life. The Bible doesn't say they have. Come on, somebody. Why? Because they have come to the place where this is no longer final authority in their life. Because it's not final authority, it doesn't just affect what you do. It affects what you believe. It affects what you say. You listening? Because all of a sudden now, I start, my love starts drawing away from God. I start getting colder and colder and colder. Well, where are you going to go? I'll tell you where you're going to go. You're going to go back to the ways of the world. Pig goes back in the mire. Dog returns to his vomit. Sorry for the, but that's Jesus said. That's what happens. That's what happens. They start going back to the things of the world. Because they're what? Deceived. They're deceived. Is that just the multitudes? No. This is people who once loved God with all their heart. They don't love him anymore. Sadly. Sadly. Why? Deceived. Now what led to that again? A disrespect for the word. Why in the world would anybody disrespect this word? Because you want what you want more than what God wants. You want what you want more than what God wants. You listening? And then you start disrespecting leadership. Leadership can't teach you anymore, can't correct you. Um, I want to watch my time here, but you got to understand this. When you all of a sudden sit in church and think, I can't learn anymore, you guys are pretty much good, note takers, paying attention, but all of a sudden it's kind of like you just sit here and bump on a log. 
You're not really paying attention. You're not really paying attention to anything that's being said. You're not really taking in what's being said. You're headed down the road to your love growing cold. Because if you, if you honor and respect this as what it is, God. Amen. You understand the reverence you have for hearing this preached? Lord. Right. And the hunger you have to get more of it? Can I get a better amen? Now, it don't mean everybody's got to take notes, but I'm just telling you, I've watched people in this church all of a sudden where you can tell. They're just not, not, not here tonight, but you can tell people when they just start sitting back. They're just going through the motions of church. Your love is already growing cold. The, the word of God is being spoken to you. God's speaking to you. You disregard. It's not important to you because it's just another sermon. It's just pastor. You listening? But that's where people go. That's called deception. I said that's called deception. Drop down a little farther, please. A little farther in verse 24. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even who? Even who? Tell me out loud. The elect. That even means the believers again. The elect of the believers. You're the elect. And if they can, they'll even deceive you. So... Answer to the question, are the multitudes that follow Jesus, like the Sermon on the Mount multitudes, feeding of the 5,000, are these the same type of people spoken of in the last days that will be deceived? Yeah, but they're not the only ones. So to answer your question, I understand, I think what your question means, is it just those that will be deceived? Oh, no. Even those that once were in love with Jesus. Many. Isn't it sad? Many. Boy, how much, how much that should alert my heart to say, I want to stay on fire for God in love with Jesus. I don't want my love for Jesus to grow cold. Come on. Don't go beat yourself up and think, oh, Lord, I just know I'm not living like I should. Well, let me help you. Number one, if you're in sin, get out. Number two, though, you know, a lot of times people can go the opposite end of the spectrum here and beat themselves up thinking, I don't love God like I really should. How, seriously, you can answer that question. If you truly do love him, do you want to honor and respect him in your life? Yeah. Do you want to do his word? Yeah. Then you love him. Are you taking the word now and trying to make it fit your life? No. Then you love him. People who don't start twisting the scriptures. I get a better amen. We could all say we could love God more. Amen. Right? But the truth is, how much do you respect his word? Because it's lawlessness that causes this to start happening. So who all will be deceived in the last days? Sadly, many people, including elect, including believers, who were once on fire for God in love with Jesus and are no more. And in Jesus' name, that is not going to be me and you. Any amens on that? We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.